A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maybe. Concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights were probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 434. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are talking about The Green Man. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. Yes, this is a 1990 BBC adaptation of the novel of the same name by Kingsley Amos. It was broadcast in three parts. They're about 50 minutes each. As I say, 1990 on the BBC and Sir Kingsley Amis, no less, as the source material. Yes, and it's a spooky show with an actual ghost involved and fits into our October Halloween-themed episodes. And of course, as well as the big-name author, we've also got a big-name star in this production. And he's got some stuff for us to talk about as we go along. Some It weaves in some interesting themes and ideas. Yes, that's right. So... Getting into the setup, Maurice Allington is the owner and friendly host of this Cambridgeshire country house hotel and restaurant called The Green Man. And each night is something of a performance for him as he entertains his guests and clientele with fine wine and food and of course, ghost stories. So he's playing something of a raconteur part as he's going with this. But he is a complicated character, Maurice Allington. He is dealing with a lot of personal issues. So he's got, I believe it's his second wife. It's suggested that he's perhaps not been married to for terribly long. He's also got a mistress. He's got his ailing father who lives in the hotel. He's got his own problems with, let's say, alcohol abuse. And he's got this strange and rather distant relationship with his teenage daughter also living at the hotel. So he's got quite a lot going on for our lead character. And then, of course, to make things even more complicated for him, he starts to experience a series of strange and haunting events that happen within the hotel and lead him to investigate some of the history of the building and to get to the dark acts of one of its previous owners. And we have to sort of raise the question, as you say, Brian, is a ghost, is it a real ghost from the past? Has he got his own personal demons that he's dealing with that's producing this? This is some of the stuff that's going to come up as we go along. Yes, we definitely see some things, but are we seeing just what he sees that may or may not be real? And yeah, it's not entirely clear. So getting into the characters, we've already talked a little bit about Maurice Allington, who was played by none other than Albert Finney, who is something of a British acting legend, came to fame as the young man in Saturday Night and Sunday Morning, but also played title characters in Billy Lyre and Tom Jones. He played Hercule Poirot in the 1974 version of Murder on the Orient Express. And later on in his career, he was in Hollywood films 
films like Aaron Brockovich, Big Fish, and The Bourne Ultimatum, and the Bond film Skyfall. And we actually saw him in the Dennis Potter show's Karaoke and Cold Lazarus, which we covered together at one point. So we had another sort of late performance of his there. And I'd sort of forgotten about that, Brian, but you're quite right. We did see him, and in partly we saw him as a frozen head in a jar at one point in that production. That's true, yes. Allington is this complicated character, the genial host of this hotel and restaurant, but really drinking too much and chasing much younger women and not facing up to the difficulties in the relationships with his own children. So he has a lot going on and isn't always dealing with all of it very well. Let's mention two of the women in Allington's life. Joyce Allington, played by Linda Marlowe, his current wife, rather tolerant of his various misbehaviours, it seems. She is quite busy sort of running the administrative side of the hotel, the bookings and so on, leaving Morris, of course, to do his nightly performance as the raconteur and host in the restaurant. And then Diana, played by Sarah Berger. She is the mistress I'm referred to, Allington's latest sort of romantic interest and target in the very sort of first episode. And he seduces her. He tries to interest her in the idea of actual threesome with his wife. And we should also mention that she is the wife of... Sarah is the wife of the local doctor, played by Nicky Henson. Morris's doctor, who is trying to get him to reduce his alcohol intake, but also seems to be supporting him in doing so with some rather, shall I say, liberal prescribing of sedatives and other medications. Morris Allington has got big appetites and these include prescription drugs as well as booze brian yes so it seems there is yet another screen legend here because michael hordern is playing maurice's elderly father who lives in rooms at the top of the hotel and seems to be possibly nearing the end of his life and actually the casting of Hordern is sort of an interesting link back to the BBC MR James adaptations because of his appearance there. Yes, we might mention some other nods to MR James as we go along, Brian. <laughs> yes, I think so. Now, of course, we've got a ghost, the ghost of Dr. Underhill, played by Michael Culver. This dark and mysterious character from the past of the Green Man House depicted on screen again in a slightly well very sort of like sinister spectral makeup and appearance on screen suitably ghostly but we are going to talk a little bit more about what this ghost represents as we go along as well yes absolutely i'll also mention a couple of other interesting appearances by actors we know nicholas grace who i especially remember as the sheriff of nottingham from robin of sherwood shows up as a somewhat questionable priest and then Josie Lawrence who we actually saw in a much more recent show when we covered humans last time she shows up as this 
quite new age, strange younger character. So that was interesting to see her too. Yeah, great stuff. I thought I thought both of them were playing very interesting characters. Nicholas Grace's vicar is a um, very is is a riot and great fun on screen. Yeah, he was quite eccentric, over the top, and quite humorous. It was quite something. Yeah. So getting into a bit more of what's happening, Maurice Allington is, you know, always talking about these ghosts as a kind of performance. And then he actually sees a ghost, which leads to this embarrassing scene for him in the restaurant over dinner and yet another half-hearted consultation with his doctor, this local doctor we've referred to, and things like this. Yes, and then, of course, Morris's father, played by Michael Horden, as you've said, Brian, he appears to have some sort of vision at dinner, possibly that he's seen the same ghost just before he has a massive stroke and then sadly dies shortly afterwards adding to the list of problems for Maurice Allenton to be dealing with the death of his father. But it doesn't seem to slow Maurice down in any way. He doesn't stop him from chasing alcohol, chasing outdoor sexual encounters with his mistress and trying to persuade his wife and his mistress to get involved in a threesome with him. He's still at all his bad habits. He doesn't seem to be very bothered by the the death of his father, as some of the other characters point out, too. Not a lot of grief on display from him. No. However, he does take a trip outside the hotel because he has to go to a Cambridge college in order to look up who this previous owner of the house may be because he begins to work out that it is this Dr Underhill character, a notorious 17th century scholar and occultist, of course, appropriate enough for this time of the year in this show. And he's in a Cambridge College library consulting one of the scholars but also researching and finding, of all things, Underhill's own diary. And I did feel that this was another M.R. James moment, uh, the college library and the research and the finding an old text, Brian. Yes, that definitely fits in that style, as does learning about this figure from centuries earlier who was involved in things that he shouldn't have been. Some of which he detailed in his diary. Yes, indeed. And Maurice Allington is reading about Underhill's use of potions to entice and seduce young women from a nearby village. And there's a note that Allington scribbled in the hotel visitor book that sends him and Sarah to dig up this grave. And they discover this strange silver figurine there. So events are building towards this sort of late night confrontation between Ellington and, well, something from the past. Indeed, we're building up towards some strange and spooky and slightly grim stuff. Yes, absolutely. So, production notes time. The Green Man, as we have said, is based on a novel of the same name by Kingsley Amis, published in 1969. Uh, Kingsley Amis lived from 1922 to 1995 and found fame initially with his comic novel of college life Lucky Jim from 1954. He had a 
long and you know very impressive career. He wrote numerous novels. He wrote short stories. We might come back to one of those in a moment. He wrote poetry. He wrote literary criticism. He was quite sort of widely spread in his writings and his work, Brian. Yes, absolutely. And amongst those works were the Booker Prize winning The Old Devils from 1986, a survey of science fiction called New Maps in Hell from 1960, uh, the James Bond dossier from 1965, and the first official Bond novel to be published after the death of Ian Fleming, Colonel Sun, in 1968. He also wrote a science fiction alternative history novel, The Alteration, in 1976. And Amos was sort of interested in experimenting with genre and described the green man as three novels in one a ghost story a moral fable and a comic novel interesting he was you know as i say very wide-ranging i have read his james bond novel colonel sum i wasn't aware of his science fiction dossier or the alternate uh, novel i might have to look into those brian yeah interesting stuff now, of course, he also wrote or was recording interviews saying that some of the character Maurice Allington's personal faults were based on, of course, Kingsley Amos's own experiences. He was, I think, very well aware of his reputation as what he described as one of the great drinkers of his time. And, of course, Kingsley Amos also had many misadventures with... Well, let's say a serial adultery as well. He pursued drink and women, much like his character here. On a slightly more positive note, he had a very long relationship with the BBC, writing for them and appearing regularly on BBC radio. So I suppose it's no surprise that the BBC picked up the Green Man novel. In fact, it was writer for the BBC who then turned producer David Snowden, who asked of all people, Malcolm Bradbury to adapt The Green Man for the screen in 1990. Yes, Bradbury was another British writer and academic who in 1990 might have been best known for the BBC's 1981 adaptation of his 1975 novel, The History Man, which also had a similar sort of sex comedy look at university life, which may have been partly inspired by Kingsley Amos Lucky Jim that we mentioned earlier. Yes, we'll talk a little bit about this next time, but Malcolm Bradbury was quite a big thing at the time, and the, certainly the, the adaptation of The History Man had been a, a major event for the BBC in 1981. So here he is adapting The Green Man for the screen. And of course, when it came to casting, Brian, I'm going to guess, well, based a little bit on what I remember from this in 1990, that securing Albert Finney, luring him away from his film work for television, was a big coup for the BBC then. Back when there wasn't quite so much crossover between film and television acting as there is now. Yes, that definitely would have been a big deal. He had been doing films by then and uh, had been in some successful ones. So yeah, this script, I imagine, was a lot of what was able to get him involved. But yeah, that was certainly a big deal. And I do remember being quite a lot of sort of fuss about this at the time in the Radio Times and on television about the fact that the BBC had got Albert Finney to do this show. 
Um, we've talked a little bit about the other cast. I will mention that right at the start of the first episode, we get a couple of cameos from well-known journalists at the time, food critics. One of them became an MP. Bernard Levin and Clement Freud actually pop up visiting the restaurant in the first episode and get uh, spoken to by Maurice Allington. Clement Freud, Sigmund Freud's grandson, would you believe, Brian? Oh, interesting. Yeah, that makes sense that they were well-known people with the focus they gave them in that that moment. The series was directed for the BBC by Elijah Mashinsky, who is best known, was best known as a stage director of opera and Shakespeare productions, not the RSC, Brian, but on London's sort of the London stage, particularly the National Theatre. Interesting choice, actually, because he didn't do, I think, a lot of straightforward BBC or straightforward television work, but he did get a lot of his stage productions broadcast on television. It was set in the countryside outside Cambridge, but they actually filmed it in Dorset with Upcern Manor House being used for the Green Man Inn for the exteriors. Now, they do obviously visit Cambridge because there's some outside or exterior filming in the centre of Cambridge. I don't know which building or college they used for the library sequences and whether that is actually a Cambridge college. If anybody recognises the library used here, please let me know. It is interesting. I think I might recognise it from another show that we may be covering in the future, Brian, but we'll perhaps come back to that. Interesting. The Green Man was broadcast in the nine o'clock post-watershed time slot on Sunday, October 28th of 1990 and continued weekly. So fits nicely in for a spooky Halloween type show. Indeed, it does. Good timing for us. Yes. The series also won a 1991 BAFTA for the music composed by Tim Suster. And Finney was nominated for Best Actor by the BAFTAs, but lost out to Ian Richardson in the original House of Cards. And if you're going to lose a BAFTA, or if Albert Finney's going to lose out on a BAFTA, it's probably got to be somebody of the caliber of Ian Richardson to beat him, Brian. And I know that original house of cards one of your favorites yes and that would have been the first mini series of of a at that time and ian richardson delivered a remarkable performance in that so yeah you can see why that would have taken that BAFTA. Now, if you've listened to our previous episodes, you may be waiting for us to tell a little production note about a short story by Kingsley Amis that we talked about in episode 411 of this podcast. The Kingsley Amis story was called Who or What Was It?, which he originally read on the BBC in 1972 and then published after that. And you may remember that this sort of tells the story of a, an encounter that Kingsley Amis and his wife may have had themselves when they found themselves sheltering from a rainstorm and taking a room in a country hotel that then sort of surprised them by how much it seemed to resemble his fictional green man, even down to the sort of names of various 
people who worked in this hotel. Yes, and this story became the basis of the ITV 1974 serial Haunted, an episode called The Ferryman, which we covered in British Invaders 411 and 412. Head back to those episodes to hear us talking about that. And I should point out that not only are we aware of this sort of circular connection, but the BBC were obviously aware of this in 1990 because they rebroadcast Kingsley Amis reading this story himself from the original 1972 recording and they broadcast it of all times on New Year's Eve, 31st of December 1990, not long after The Green Man had originally sort of been transmitted. So it sort of comes full circle on a story that we've started talking about last December, Brian. Yes, yeah, nice how that works out, isn't it? It is a nice little snippet for us. And we should talk about the availability of this one too. So here in Region 2, it's very straightforward. There's a BBC DVD from 2015 that costs £11, doesn't have any extras on it, just has the three episodes. I cannot find it streaming here in the UK at all, The Green Man, which seems unusual. Seems like the sort of thing that would turn up on BritBox. However, you can rent the DVD from the postal rental service Cinema Paradiso if you're a member of that here in the UK. So, nice straightforward single DVD over in Region 1, Brian. In Region 1, there is no release. The Region 2 DVD import shows up on Amazon at the moment for about $15 US and $17 Canadian. Okay, so that will do us for part one of our discussion of The Green Man. Next time, we're going to explore the story a bit more, talk a little bit about the links between this and M.R. James that seems almost difficult to escape when we consider this story and this production, Brian. And we will try to figure out some of what's going on here in this story and wonder about possible medical explanations for this haunting and what people see and when and what moral is Amos trying to deliver. And of course, we'll give you our own review and recommendations about this DVD and whether you should track it down yourself. Absolutely. Until then, all of our episodes, including lots of ghost stories and Halloween-type theme-type things, are available on BritishInvaders.com. Or if you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can find our group there. And we are also on Twitter. You can find us as at BritInvadersPod. Yes, do come and find us on Twitter or join in the discussion on Facebook. Let us know what you think about the podcast and in particular about The Green Man. And, of course, come and chase us down at the Voice of Geeks Network where you'll find British Invaders as one of the proud members there. You'll find other podcasts, gaming content, lots of discussion going on. You can find all of this at the Voice of Geeks at vognetwork.com. Absolutely. So thank you for listening. And this is Brian from Canada signing off. Yes, thank you very much. Until next time, it's Eamon in England also signing off. <laughs>